Welcome to this episode of FEA Today. My name is Matt Costella, Director of the Fundamental Evangelistic Association, headquartered at the Grace Bible Church in Fresno, California. Our hope and prayer is that this brief program will encourage you in the things of the Lord and direct your attention to God's Word as you seek to make sense of the world in which you find yourself today. In this episode of FEA Today, we want to turn our attention to what is often referred to as the High Priestly Prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. Jesus had been praying for the eleven, praying for his disciples who were given to him by God the Father. And beginning in verse 20, Jesus says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. I believe Jesus is referring here to those of us even today. Verse 21, That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. A very familiar text. In fact, the leaders of many professing Christian churches, denominations, and movements today plea for Christians of all stripes to forget their doctrinal differences and strive for visible Christian unity in order to fulfill the prayer of Jesus that they all may be one. Ecumenical endeavors abound, and invariably Jesus' prayer here in John 17 is the impetus or the biblical proof that unless we are unified, we are out of step with the will of Jesus. Ignoring the many texts of Scripture that exhort believers to separate from false doctrine and those who embrace or propagate it, the ecumenists of our day call on all who say they love Jesus, who have named the name of Christ or who call Jesus Lord, to band together as a unified witness to the world. Of course, the problem is millions of people who are uniting around the name of Christ do not even agree on how one becomes a child of God. They don't even agree how true or authoritative God's word is, or how to interpret the scriptures, or how to even live the Christian life in a way that glorifies the Lord. Does God give us instruction and insight on what spiritual unity actually entails? Well, yes, it does. I want us to consider just three biblical doctrinal principles for true Christian unity from Jesus' prayer here in John 17, a prayer that's often cited and misinterpreted by so many professing Christians today. First, consider the form of unity for which Jesus prayed. First, the form or the type of unity of which the Bible speaks, particularly in John 17, is spiritual. It's not visible unity or organizational unity. This unity involves fellowship or that which is shared in common, based, first of all, upon the reality of the indwelling Holy Spirit in the life of the believer who possesses a relationship with God. Jesus did not ask his Father to bless and author a unity among believers and unbelievers, or even among believers who disagree on important doctrinal truth. On the contrary, the text we just read, the unity for which Jesus prayed entailed a spiritual and invisible unity brought about by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, something that believers cannot see yet something that gives them power and the ability to influence the lives of others. In fact, in the text we just read in John 17, verses 21, 22, and 23, Jesus used the relationship 
between himself and God the Father as an analogy to describe the type or the form of unity for which he prayed for those who believe in him. Just as the Father is in Christ and Christ is in the Father, we see that in verses 21 and 23, those who believe in Jesus Christ will be in them. In other words, just as the Father and Son are both one but distinct in identity, all believers are one body, that is the church or the body of Christ, despite their distinct identities as individuals. You see, this unity is spiritual. It cannot be physically seen. It's not material or organizational. And this unity for which Jesus prayed came to pass. Initially on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit descended and indwelt all believers, And it continues to come to pass whenever any person believes in Jesus Christ and is added to the body of Christ by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 12 and 13 says, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Romans chapter 12 and verse 5 adds, So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. This is the unity, this spiritual invisible unity for which Jesus prayed, and this unity comes to pass the moment an unbeliever trusts Jesus Christ alone for his or her eternal well-being. This is the form of unity for which Jesus prayed. Next, we consider the basis of Christian visible unity. Understanding the type or the form of unity for which Jesus prayed, which is spiritual union based on the new birth and the indwelling Holy Spirit, we consider then the basis for organizational or ministerial unity among those who truly do believe in Jesus Christ. This unity is based upon agreement of doctrinal truth, the word of God. For religious leaders today to establish the criteria for unity as either those who say they love Jesus or those who claim they have been born of the Spirit, that's to establish a criteria that is foreign to Scripture. Millions of unbelievers and even millions of believers who embrace false doctrine and false teaching claim to love Jesus and they claim to be born of the Spirit. As a result of their claims, they often seek to participate in the man-made unity for which the professing church clamors today. But the basis for true organizational and ministerial unity among believers is the acceptance of doctrinal truth as found in God's word and the practical outworking of this truth in one's life and ministry. You see, it begins with the true gospel message itself, and then it extends to the biblical teaching concerning how to live the Christian life in a way that glorifies God day by day. In the early church, the word heralded forth by the apostles served as the basis for unity. Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 20, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Unity among true believers begins with the word of God and is based on a unified message. Correct doctrine is the ultimate basis for Christian unity. Many years ago, Charles Spurgeon stated the following concerning true unity. He said, quote, To remain divided is sinful. Did not our Lord pray that they may be one even as we are one? A chorus of ecumenical voices keep harping the unity tune. What they are saying is, 
Christians of all doctrinal shades and beliefs must come together in one visible organization, regardless. Unite, unite. Such teaching is false, reckless, and dangerous. Truth alone must determine our alignments. Truth comes before unity. Unity without truth is hazardous. Our Lord's Prayer in John 17 must be read in its full context. Look at verse 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Spurgeon concludes with this sentence. Only those sanctified through the word can be one in Christ, and to teach otherwise is to betray the gospel. What a good quote. It is evident that genuine unity among Christians is based upon the truth of God's word, because first of all, the Bible teaches this fact over and over again, but also because the Bible commands believers to separate from, that is to refuse to fellowship or associate with any believer, including a church or ministry, that fails to embrace and obey the teaching of God's word. We could cite text after text. Among the realm of professing Christendom today, thousands of individuals disagree on biblical doctrine. Some believe water baptism is the doorway into the church. Others believe God speaks today apart from the scriptures through visions, dreams, tongues, etc. Some believe law-keeping plays an important part in salvation. Others believe Christians must endure the tribulation before Christ returns. Still others embrace the theory of evolution in its various forms. You see, disagreement abounds in matters pertaining to salvation, prophecy, revelation, and many other areas. These disagreements are not merely minor differences, but they affect one's entire theology and understanding of Scripture. It is impossible for church leaders to join with every church in their community while simultaneously defending the faith and obeying God by warning about the false doctrines embraced by the very churches with whom they are partnering. Fellowship can only abound among those who truly share common doctrine. So the form of unity for which Jesus prayed is spiritual, not visible or organizational. The basis of Christian visible unity is the truth, sound doctrine of God's word. The third thing to consider then is the purpose of true Christian unity. The purpose of unity is to honor and glorify God. Again, our text in John 17, 21, 22, and 23 stresses this point. God is honored and glorified when a lost sinner enters into a relationship with him. And he's honored and glorified when that believer lives a life consistent with his will and purpose. When a believer yields himself to God's will by obeying God's word, the world will notice a difference in that person. Only by possessing the Holy Spirit and then being part of the body of Christ can one effectively minister to others and thus bring honor to God. The new birth is always the starting point. Yet once an individual becomes a believer, his testimony to the world is anchored in the doctrine of God's word. Notice John 17, 23 again. The world will only know Jesus Christ through the proclamation of doctrine in concert with the indwelling Holy Spirit. Therefore, our doctrine must be correct. Belief in Jesus Christ by unbelievers is the result of this unity. Verse 21 tells us this. And the world must believe not only in the actions of believers, but specifically in the word, the doctrine they proclaim. This cannot happen when professing believers unite to evangelize or do ministry, and they don't even agree on what the Bible teaches or how it is to be interpreted. Christians only honor and glorify God by number one, as Jesus says, being in Christ, and number two, obeying his word and his will. 
When the people of God minimize the truth of God's word for the sake of a shallow outward unity and actually disobey his word by joining with those who minister with unbelievers or those who embrace false doctrine, false teaching, God is not glorified. Therefore, any individual or any church or ministry that desires to truly glorify God cannot be a part of this kind of endeavor. Unity should never be forged at the expense of sound, that is, healthy, true doctrine. God is glorified only when his word and his will are obeyed, regardless of the cost to the believer. And of course, this is our very purpose for existence, is to bring glory to God, to glorify him in all things. Today, we praise God that Jesus' prayer was fulfilled. His prayer was answered on the day of Pentecost following his death, resurrection, and ascension. When Jesus sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, all who truly trusted in him and his perfect work alone for their salvation, they became one body in Christ, and Jesus' prayer was answered. This blessed unity for which Jesus prayed is further amplified by true believers today, Christians, who embrace the truth of God's word and who daily seek to live it out in their lives for the glory of God. You see, genuine spiritual unity is an incredible blessing. On the other hand, a forced man-made unity is empty at best and really spiritually dangerous at worst. Our prayer should be in all of our lives, our churches, and our ministries to thank the Lord for the unity that we have in Jesus Christ and then strive to have that same kind of doctrinal unity with other like-minded brothers and sisters in Christ, churches and ministries and individuals who are desiring to preach the one true gospel, to earnestly contend for the faith, and to teach the word of God in all of its fullness and its truth. I thank you for joining us for this episode of FEA Today, and may the Lord continue to bless you until next time.